Chapter Twenty Six of the Boy Scouts in the Blue Ridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Kagan. The Boy Scouts in the Blue Ridge by Herbert Carter. Chapter Twenty Six. The Still in the Mountain Cave. It's some climb," said Polly. "'But think what is at the end of it,' answered the eager boy. "'Why, to see my father again, I'd go all night and then some. "'Please say you won't, Polly, after giving me your promise.' "'I'm going to leave it up to him,' said the girl simply. "'And both of them understood that she meant that, "'for doubtless Polly had guessed before now "'that he was the leader of the boys in uniform, "'and that what he said was authority.' Thad knew there was no such thing as trying to restrain his chum, now that the fever was in his veins, nor did he have any desire to do so. "'He'll make it all right, I think, Polly,' he remarked quietly. "'Sure I will, so let's start,' declared the other. Polly, of course, was willing. She did not seem to give one thought to herself, and yet Thad remembered how swollen her ankle had seemed after such a bad twisting in the cliff of the rock that same afternoon when the angry wildcat threatened to jump her there. But then Polly had been reared among the mountains that seemed to meet the sky, and she was a girl accustomed to standing all manner of pain, as well as any grown man could have done. They started to climb upward. One thing favored them, for which Thad was really glad. Polly knew every foot of the rough country like a scholar might the printed pages of a book, she could lead them along trails that they would never have suspected existed at all, hidden as they were from the eye of a stranger by the artful moonshiners. And while possibly the climbing might be difficult, it was never as bad as the boys had found it when ascending the mountain in the same day. Bob, for a wonder, kept quiet, of course. He needed all his wind to carry him through. Then again, he was naturally turning over in his mind the amazing thing that had just come to him, trying to realize his wonderful good fortune, thought that he was about to see his dear father shortly, was enough to fill his mind to the exclusion of all else, and so he continued to fall close up after the nimble girl, while Thad brought up the rear. They paused to rest several times. No doubt it was more on account of these two boys, quite unaccustomed to such hard labor as climbing a mountain. That compelled Polly to pause, because otherwise she could have kept straight on without any rest. "'We're getting there now,' she remarked finally, as they halted for the fourth time, with Bob fairly panting for breath, and Thad himself secretly confessing that this mountain-climbing, after a sure-footed girl who had shown herself as nimble as a goat, was no cinch. "'I'm glad to hear that news, Polly,' Bob admitted candidly. But then it may have been on account of the fact that he was nearer the meeting with his long-lost father, rather than an admission that he was tired. This one more stop and sure will be thar. Perhaps you could make her right smart from here, if she so felt fresh enough, Polly explained. Let's try anyhow, declared Bob. You don't know how much I can stand. Why, I used to climb these mountains as well as you ever could, and it'd be queer if I'd forgotten all I ever knew. "'That sounds just like a quail,' remarked the girl, with a chuckle, as she once more took up the work. 
The last part of the climb was certainly the roughest of all. Old Finn had hidden his secret still in a quarter of the rocky uplift where no revenue man thus far had ever been able to look upon it on his own free will. But finally they heard Polly say that it was close by. Thad also noticed that the girl had changed her manner, more or less. She climbed now without making the slightest noise, just as though some instinct, born of her life in the zone where warfare always existed between her people and the government agents, had caused her to exercise caution. Thad saw they were approaching what must have been a rocky gully leading to some sort of cave. He remembered that Polly had, well, Speaking, happened to mention the fact that her father's famous still was located in a cave which could never be found by the smartest agents the authorities ever sent to look for such illegal distilleries. Look out, you don't slip, came in a low but thrilling whisper from the guide at this juncture, and from this Thad assumed that it must be passing along the edge of some dizzy precipice that had to do with the safety of the manufactory the existence of which had so long taunted the government. Now and then Polly would give a slight pause. At such times Thad believed she must be looking cautiously around to make sure the guard had not returned to the place since she left there some time before. Then he realized he could no longer see the stars overhead. For this he judged they must have passed underground, and that this was a fact. He presently learned when, by stretching out his hand, he felt the cold rock close by. All around him there was pitch darkness at first, and the girl made Bob take hold of her dress while Thad in the rear kept a hand on his chum's back as they moved slowly along. Presently the watchful scoutmaster made a little discovery that afforded him pleasure. There must be a light ahead somewhere, for he began to catch a faint glow, such as might come from a lantern. This illumination grew gradually stronger until they could actually manage to see dimly around them. Wait here for me till I see if their coast is clear, whispered the girl. The two scouts saw her slip away. It struck Thad that possibly he and his chums had much to learn ere they could pass along as noiselessly as this mountain girl. How the seconds dragged, each one must have seemed tortured to poor anxious Bob knowing as he did that the one he had long mourned as dead was so near at hand. They heard nothing save a dripping sound, which may have been caused by water. Evidently the secret still was not in operation just then. The words dropped by Polly gave Thad the impression that possibly it had ceased work for all time, because of some reason that brought about a change in conditions. Polly could not have been gone more than five minutes before she came gliding back again to where she had left the boys. It's all right, and there don't appear to be any guard round. She plucked at Bob's coat sleeve, as if to let him understand that he could come on now, as if the boy needed a second invitation. They turned a bend in the narrow passage ahead, and Thad drew a long breath as he looked upon one of the most remarkable scenes it had ever been his fortune to see. The cave was a natural grotto, rock-ribbed and as firm as the everlasting foundations of the mountains themselves. The moonshiners had fitted it up for their purpose, and there, for the first time, Thad saw what it looked like after all. It did not amount to much. 
the worm being the most interesting part of it, but then the fact that he was now gazing upon the very still that revenue men had for years tried in vain to discover and wreck gave the scoutmaster a sensation akin to awe. But all this he saw with one sweeping glance. There was more. A clanking as of chains drew his attention to a figure that had risen from a bench and was pushing the long hair from his eyes to watch their entrance. Evidently, Polly, during her short absence, must have whispered to the prisoner that Bob was close by. There was, of course, no such thing as holding Bob back any longer. He saw that ragged and altogether uncouth figure, which, of course, bore not the least resemblance to his father, he remembered so well, but he also discovered a pair of extended arms, and toward their shelter the boy fairly leaped. Another instant of Bob Quail was wrapped in the embrace of the parent he had not seen in more than two years, and whose fate it had been to remain here a prisoner among the moonshiners, who hated him so thoroughly, while his dear ones mourned him as dead. After a few minutes, Thad moved closer, and gave a little cough, wishing to let him know his chum that he had a comrade try and true nearby. With that, Bob started up and gripped him by the arm. This is my best friend, Thad Brewster, father, he said. Thad shook hands with the emaciated man who had been confined in this underground retreat so long. In spite of the long beard and strange looks of the other, he realized that Mr. Quail was no ordinary man. But then Thad had guessed that already from what he had heard about the one-time marshal. This is a mighty big piece of luck for Bob, Thad remarked. It seems naturally to be good to be true. And he'll be the happiest boy in the States when he takes you back home with him, sir. Home? repeated the prisoner. Oh, how strange that word sounds. After being shut up here so long, and how queer the outside world will seem to me. But I hope the promise old Finn Daddy made still holds for good. I have no longer the desire to hold out against his will. In my own mind, I'm no longer on the payroll of the government for he tells me everyone believes me dead, so I can take the vow with clear conscience. Yes, I'm hoping to go home with my boy. Thad felt that all now remaining for them to do was to get in communication with the moonshiner, and have Mr. Quail set at liberty. Surely after what he and Bob had done for the family of Finn Daddy, the latter could not refuse to let his prisoner go especially since he he now professed his willingness to make the promise that up to this time he had absolutely declined to subscribe to. They were still talking in the strain when a sound like a cough drew their attention, and looking up, Thad discovered a grim figure leaning on his gun not twenty feet away. There was no need to ask who the man was, for every one of them had already recognized the moonshiner, Finn Daddy. End of chapter 26 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan.